you know, first of all, I think just managing the offseason means fixing or improving all the things we're weak at, right? So that the low hanging fruit to me is always mobility, uh, blood analysis, and strength, right? Those three things you can do without swimming another yard, running another mile, or, you know, one more pedal stroke on the bike. That's easy, low hanging fruit. Not everybody wants to do that, but those elite athletes that I've coached certainly will want to do that and do do that because they're always looking for the edge. Welcome to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'm your host, Dirk Friel. In each episode, we'll sit down with industry experts to discuss coaching methodologies, the latest research, and leading tools for endurance training. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources. My next guest is Mike Ricci, who has been coaching and using Training Peaks for over 20 years. He is the founder and head coach at D3 Multisport and After 40 Reboot. He is a past USAT Coach of the Year. He was head triathlon coach at University of Colorado, where he led the Buffs to four straight collegiate championships. And he has also coached many Ironman age group winners and national champions. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion, which is focused on tips for the offseason. Mike, uh, I when did you create your very first Training Peaks account? It has to be like 2001 or something. Like it was, yeah, so years. I was sitting in the I was sitting in the room with you and with your partners uh, with uh, and, and with Gear, yeah, Gear Fisher and, and Gear Fisher and Donovan, and then the three of the four of us sat there for like three hours, and you were showing me everything on the wall and how good it can be because I was using Excel spreadsheets, right? Okay, and I was just <laughs> sending those back and forth to athletes, and become came so cumbersome trying to email those. That yeah. was uh, anyways. The point is, you've been an awesome uh, long time customer and. Kind of, a, sure. you know, I don't know, just mainstay in the sport that's just so consistent and, and great. So you have an amazing experience. So really happy to have you on finally on. on yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, me. I'm always jealous. I'm like, why hasn't he called me up to put me on? I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> well, and then I run into you the other day at the gym. Training Bible back then. We That's right. A few years in, that's we right. changed our name to, to Training Peaks. Um, but we were we were at one time trainingbible.com. Trainingbible.com. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, today I'd love to kind of get out there and this is actually, you might think of this topic as being small, but it's actually really big. <laughs> this, this topic of off season and there's so many kind of different directions we can take it. Um, you and I were, were chatting a bit earlier about this, um, you know, and, and just simply the fact of like, how long is an off season? And that, can mean so many different things to so many different athletes and even sports, right? It's, it's kind of like viewed and right. through different lenses, depending on the sport age, um, experience in, in the sport. I think primarily today we'll be focused on your experience within triathlon, short course and long course, but we can definitely throw in where we see, you know, differences within sports. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, like someone might be like, well, how long am I supposed to take off? You know, um, what, what does that right. look like for, for you a, and the different types of athletes you work with? Yeah, that's a big can of worms, right? I mean, it could be anything. Um, you know, I, I typically would think that someone would take, you know, three to four weeks of just some downtime, right? Like just not unstructured, go ride your bike, maybe go ski. I mean, you know, in Colorado, we're spoiled, right? So you can you can say to me. Hey, Mike, you know, my last gravel race is October 15th and November 15th. I'm on my skis for four months and I'm going uphill, right. and I'm, you know, and that's, are you really, is it off season? It is, 
but you're still training, right? I mean, yeah. you're still doing some actual quality training, especially, you know, uh, people don't realize that, yeah, you can go ski uphill, but there's nothing around here that starts at less than 9,000 feet. So right off the bat, you know, your heart rate's through the roof the first yeah, time. Yeah, I see you you're out there, there in the backcountry going up. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun stuff. And I, I don't ski quite like you, but I'm, I'm learning. So it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. So, okay, so you're like, again, like within your scope, within your practice, you know, what, what does this time length look like for most of your athletes for off season? And there's probably a spectrum. There's a huge spectrum. So, you know, we actually were talking about before, but you know, you have somebody, let's say they live on the East coast and really they're racing from, let's say early June to the end of September, if they're lucky, right. With the yeah. weather. Yeah. Um, and they're not, you know, September 30th, they're done. They're not racing again till May 1st. I mean, that's a long time. Right. Is that whole time off season? No, but a majority of it could be, um, but there's a lot of things we can work on, right? And, and one of the things that I've always um, tried to do with my athletes is work on a specific sport for a period of time. So if someone says to me, hey, I'm doing great at Ironman, but man, I'm swimming an hour 30. Like I need to get to an hour 20 to be competitive, an hour 10. We'll spend eight weeks just focusing on swimming, right? So oh, yeah. we're, we're not ditching the bike and the run, but it's just maintenance, right? Maybe they get on, they do a few VO2 intervals on the bike, they go run and do some strides, but it's not the focus. The focus is the swim for that period. And, and I've rotated enough through this where I've done, you know, eight weeks of swim, eight weeks of bike, eight weeks of run, and that's six months, right? And then all of a sudden the season's ready to start. They're fit. They've improved their off season. Cause you know, the old joke with triathletes is they only work on their weaknesses when they're injured, right? <laughs> so you're a bad swimmer, you're a good runner, you pull a calf, you end up in the pool and you're swimming a lot because you got to make up that time or you right. can't run and maybe you're on the bike, right? So triathletes are very, you know, they're, you know, they're just super, super um, dialed in and they, they want to stick to the same routine all the time, right? It's really hard to get them off that. So if we can get some extra time in the off season on specific sports they're not great at, I think that helps them a ton. Is it off season? Yeah, I think it's off season, you know? So, how, so uh, you know, if we talk about the textbook, you know, how does the off season fit in with like a season plan? You know, um, if someone's trying to podium, for example, go to Kona, go to Nice, whatever it may be, championships, that basically means you you have a shorter off season. You sort of have to yeah. maintain longer. Whereas, if your goal is your first whatever seventy point three or whatever it might be. Yeah, you can afford a longer off season, um, but you know if you are let's let's start with like the the more the elite level yet you know first mm -hmm. what might the off season length look like and then what will be that first next phase after coming out of like this transition? Yeah, that's a great question. I, yeah, so if, you know if, well, let's just back up for a second. So what is the what is the off season of my athletes? And one of the things that you know, we talk about is we do blood analysis, right? Okay. We'll do some kind of mobility uh, assessment. We'll do some kind of strength assessment, um, you know, blood draw, bike fit. And, you know, we don't, we don't test early in the off season because we know, you know, everything's pretty low. And, you know, certainly you can, you can look at lactate levels and things like that and see, you know, where you are, you know, November 1st versus January 1st. And are you improving and all that? And we, you know, we can do that kind of simple stuff through, you know, just some, you know, zone two riding, zone one riding, whatever. I mean, just to see, okay, so I'm riding Zwift and I'm at, you know, 200 watts at X heart rate. And then two months later, 
200 watts, my heart rate's lower, right? Or maybe I have more watts at the same heart rate, whatever it is, whatever you're going to test it. But I think there's ways to do that. But I think, you know, first of all, I think just managing the off season means fixing or improving all the things we're weak at, right? So the low hanging fruit to me is always mobility, uh, blood analysis and strength, right? Those three things you can do without swimming another yard, running another mile, or, you know, one more pedal stroke on the bike. That's easy, low hanging fruit. Not everybody wants to do that, but those elite athletes that I've coached certainly will want to do that and do do that because they're always looking for the edge, right? It's, you know, I get the email that, Hey, I saw this new aerodynamic thing that, you know, I put on my bike and I'm going to be faster. I'm like, okay, that, let's, you know, if you want to invest the money in that, let's do it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had one of my athletes today asked me about the wind tunnel. I said, yeah, that's something, you know, if you've got the means to do it, then certainly go, go do that. Yeah. You know, take, take a minute off your 40 K, right. This is an Olympic distance athlete. So that stuff's important too. Yeah. It's, I'm glad you brought up, uh, like blood, you know, in terms of like more general health baseline, you know, mm-hmm. what have you been ignoring? What might be the underlying causes of certain issues you might be having, whether that be biomechanical, you know, or yep. otherwise, um, and getting that kind of baseline after you've had some time off, you're not peaked, you're not pushing yourself hard. What are your baseline numbers just for general basic health from there? Are there any issues? Right. Then after that is like, okay, let's think about performance. You know, what do these kind of performance numbers look like within, you know, a complete blood chemistry profile. And that, that can be hard to read. You need to, you know, get with an expert that can really read into those, you know, results and numbers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. And and we use a service like inside tracker or something like that to just kind of, you know, um, get the athletes squared away with that. That's it's easy. Yeah. And then you mentioned mobility and I saw you at the gym, uh, last week. That's primarily why I was in there. You know, I was getting, I was out for like five weeks with a back injury and hip issues. And for me, it's about getting back to the basics again. And I just, you know, I, I don't need to jump right into squats and stuff. I need to like get more of that mobility, stability around my hip and core. I had obvious, you know, discrepancies right versus left. I went through a really comprehensive 90 minute strength analysis, which actually I've never done in my life. But now yeah. that I'm 53, it's damn obvious. Like, you know, yeah. I knew yeah. there were issues, underlying issues, but now I know what they are and I can actually work right. with an expert. So maybe dig into that a little bit more. You know, why, why do you- Yeah, so did you, did you do your analysis with Chris or somebody else? I did, Chris Lee, exactly. Yeah, so when I went in, I saw Chris in February or so, I had emailed him and uh, went in to go see him and he's got me doing the short hop and then hop up to the box. And I'm like, I don't even know if I could do this, right? Like I could do a box jump with two feet, but can I do a short hop and then a hop out of the box? And, right. you know, I had to do some of those Copenhagen planks he had me do. And, you know, he's like, do 15 of these. And I'm like, dude, my- my inner quad is like going to cramp in six reps. And, and it did like eight. He's like, okay, you're done. You failed, you know, and it's fine. Cause now you're learning. Um, but I went back this week and I told him, I said, I did three sets of 20. He was amazed, but it just, you know, it takes time. Um, but that stuff's wonderful. Um, and I ask him, I'm like, well, when your elite athletes come in here, cause you see the pictures of all the, right. the wonderful athletes. He coached I saw Adam Goucher in there, like my last session. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Morgan goes in there, Morgan Pearson. And I said, Hey, you know, do these guys have discrepancies? He's like, Oh yeah, they all have something. I'm like, well, that, that makes me feel a little better being a 55 year old man who, you know, is trying to keep his body right. together and still move well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think an expert like Chris is great for the strength stuff, right? Like I, I would send all my local athletes to him to get assessed and to see where they 
what they can work on, right? Because everybody's like, oh, I'm strong. I can squat 200. I can do this and that. I'm like, but are you doing, are you, are you really, are you putting your back in a bad position by doing that squat at 200? Should you not even be doing that weight? Do you have the mobility to do a deep squat? Do you have the ability to do us? I can't, most of my athletes cannot do a side lunge. I mean, it's insane to, to say that. Um, we had a, we did a little uh, clinic uh, two years ago before COVID. It was 2009, it was, two, it was 2020, but we had it in January. We had about eight athletes. We did a two day clinic. Um, I was teaching them all how to deadlift. And most of them, I would say if there were 12 people, 10 of them could not reach down to the bar, could not squat down and get the bar. And I'm like, these are athletes that go five hours and a half Ironman. Huh. And you're like, you can go straight and fast very well. Yeah. You don't move side to side. You have zero mobility in your hips to squat down and pick something up. And, and it got me thinking like, wow, you're going to be 50 something someday and you need to be able to A, get yourself off the floor if you ever fall and B, pick things up, right? Without blowing out your back or, yeah. you know, your hamstrings and all that stuff. So I think that that assessment thing is a huge piece of this, no matter what your level. And, and you may laugh at this as a 30 year old or a 35 year old, but it's important as you age to continue that mobility. Because if you can stay on top of it now, it's, it'll be a breeze when you get older because yeah. you're used to doing it, right? Have but, you seen, but we sit so much now that that just screws everything up. It yeah. really, really does. I mean, we're luckily we we have some local experts. Have you have you found remote like ways to get this completed? Yeah. So I actually through Chris um, and there's another guy in town um, that I've used remotely with some of my athletes, like on the East Coast, that they actually can go in and get an assessment done online. Yeah. And then they can get their program set up. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. like for me. I, my hip issues were only on the bike. Like of all things, I yeah. only had this hip issue and it's like getting pinched, you know? Um, yeah. And so that's my primary sport. So if, if I were, heaven forbid, like I'm not a triathlete, I don't really have to worry about aerodynamics. You know, I'm not in time trials. I'm more gravel mountain bike guy. Yeah. But if I did have to get an aero position, like I would have been way off, you know, so yeah. your hip would have shut down or whatever's going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Right? And just... let alone try to run off of that, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm just... But it's a thing you've done the most, right? So that's, that makes sense that that's an overuse injury or yeah. it hasn't been addressed. Right. So that's, that all makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, if we think about, okay, there's no like triathlon, it's 12 months a year now. There's like a major event, even it in the US, like year. there's major events. What, um, Memphis or something is this weekend, right? You know, and, yeah. and so it is literally a 12 month a year type sport. Um, so there may not be like the traditional off season, although there kind of is if we're thinking North American folks. Um, but if someone is doing three, four, you know, two 70.3s, Ironman, something else, mm -hmm. you can kind of intersperse this off season after each A priority race, right? That's a great point. I was actually going to bring that up. So when I have athletes, I try to get them to split the season. So, you know, if we start November, December, whatever month it is that they're ready to get going. And my, my feeling is always to get an athlete in the gym before Thanksgiving. Cause I always feel like between Thanksgiving and Christmas is that easy to put five pounds on without doing anything. Right. Cause you go to a couple parties, you drink a little more and this, that, and the other, you're not focused on training cause you're in the off season. Right. Um, but what I like to do is have them get at least, at least they have some kind of self-conscious to say, Ooh, I shouldn't have that 14th cookie. Maybe I'll stop at 12, right? So the desserts are always so so great at these things. It's hard to say no. But um, what I like to do is have them do a, an A race like June or July, right? Uh -huh. And then have them just take a week or two 
family time, vacation, go camping, whatever, like something non swim, bike, run. Yeah. Then two weeks, you know, then they get those two weeks of just easy aerobic, you know, downtime. And then we can crank up for the, the October race if it's Kona or a world championship race, but they come back a little fresh. Right. And they come back with the idea that, oh, I've got eight, I've got eight weeks now. It's not like it's not 20 weeks anymore. It's eight weeks. I can focus. I can tell my family that, hey, you know what? Saturdays are going to be training days and I'm not going to be here. And and they already know that. But at least now they've spent some time together, um, you know, family time and, and, and some downtime from the high heart rate training and and all that to at least focus on something other than swim, bike, run. And then once they jump back in, they fresh and then boom, they're yeah. on their way. So in this downtime, so, you know, are, you're adjusting zones. I mean, heart heart rate zones may not change, but certainly pace power type zones are you going in actually adjusting zones? yeah even yeah sometimes just rpe right like just say look just yeah. go out and don't do anything over five or six I, I don't care if you're you know you run your easy runs at eight minutes run them at 10 it doesn't matter just go out there and enjoy go hike right right go mountain bike something you normally don't do um of course you get your heart rate up doing mountain biking but um if you can keep it mellow yeah 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 um, so definitely turn the zones down a little bit for sure yeah and you mentioned i believe bike fit this, you know, these kind of down periods are the time to maybe get in, dig in, see where we can make improvements. And therefore, if we have to make changes, you're not going to be doing it during the heart of the season, you know, right. three weeks out from the A priority race, of course, this is the time to do the bike fit. For sure. I, and I, I've always said this, I think that, you know, our bodies are incredible machines and there's always micro changes every day, every month, every year, right? Like we, we lose mobility over time as we age, but we're not losing that mobility in one day. Like all of a sudden it kind of creeps up on you, but it's been happening for so long, right? So that bike fit, maybe you don't need to do it annually. I think you do because your body just changes. Um, but I get people that, you know, I'm coaching them and they're like, oh, I got something going on. I'm like, when's the last time you had a bike fit? They're like, well, three years ago. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, like, let's get you in there. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, it's so much more comfortable. I'm like, yeah. So that's, that's definitely part of the off season. You know, yeah. that's important. Yeah, definitely. And through, through travel, you're changing your saddle height, you're changing equipment, you change right. out the handlebars. And before you know it, you're like three centimeters off right. and, and right. then you get back in the bike fit and it may not actually be the settings you need from three years ago. You know, your body's changed yeah. again, mobility. We've been talking about that changes. You know, I had to switch to some custom orthotics and that changed my bike fit. Uh, it alleviated, you know, I had more of a flat or a, a high arch on one side. And so helping support that arch, you know, changed um, the way I sat, changes in the bike. So and that eventually led to, you know, a lot better efficiency. And, if, you know, so I, I definitely agree with the annual bike fit. Um, what's great too, is if you go to the same person, they know your history, um, mm -hmm. uh, they have your records, uh, they can see what your last bike fit was and are you still at the same, you know, dimensions. And I actually refer to my bike fitter when I go to look to buy a new bike, you know, and like, what yeah. bike should I consider? What size? And so they're like my consultants. Now that they know my history, my fit, my changes over time. My health. Well, now they know your size is compared to the frame size now, and they just, they can match you up. I mean, it's yeah. so simple now. Yeah. Um, I, I always, it always pains me when people are like, well, I really want this brand. And I'm like, well, let's see if it actually fits you first. Go get the fit. Yeah. Let's see if, you know, 
brand Y actually fits you, or maybe it's brand X, or maybe it's brand A, right? So it's just always, and then 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 the color is the thing, right? So it's all these different things. <laughs> the color, exactly. <laughs> um, but what about ad making adjustments to the bike fit and adapting over time? You, you know, like that might take some weeks or months to work in some new, you know, depending on how aggressive they're going or changes. I mean, you had those experiences before. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, what I've always been told and maybe it's changed. Um, but you know, the bike fitters have always said, don't just go out and ride 50 miles the first weekend you have a new bike fit, like give your body some time to adapt to the changes. And if you're doing this in the off season and your bike's on the trainer, that's an easy way to do it, right? right. Like you can just, get in the aero bars for five minutes at a time and be like, Oh, that's kind of uncomfortable. And then the next time it's eight minutes and feels a little better. And, you know, just kind of slowly ramp it up. You know, I have a lot of my athletes will ride the bars all the time in the, on the, um, on the trainer. And I'm like, well, you got to start to start engaging that core and get in the aero bars and, yeah. and learn that, um, this new position, right. Cause your body's got to get used to it. If you're actually going to race it at a, yeah. at a high level. But then, you know, you have to take that outside at some point, because if you're going to Nice, it's very technical. You right. gotta learn, you know, downhills, descending, et cetera, even Kona mm -hmm. crosswinds, you know, and the aero position yep. is not always the most favorable place to be. Um, but right. learning, you know, how that bike reacts in descents and cornering and, and, and crosswinds and all in the new bike position is different. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this is also this off season can be a good time to look into diet. Um, for you know, sure. changes with diet. sometimes little tweaks can go a long ways. Um, any, you know, any advice around digging into diet analytics or changes, things to think about? Yeah. I, you know, like having a coach, I think a nutritionist is a good investment because you have someone that holds you accountable and they're going to say, look, you know, you had your blood analysis done. This is what you have to work on. You know, maybe it's more macronutrients, maybe you're working on, you know, it's more protein in your diet or it's, you know, less sugar or it's less fat or whatever it is. I mean, it, but when you have someone like an expert that's, you know, knows what they're doing, they've worked with hundreds or thousands of athletes, they know your, you know, body type and they can say, okay, this is what you really need to work on. I think that's the way to do it. I mean, coaches, and I, and I tell my athletes this all the time, I'm look, I, in as far as nutrition, I can get you 90% of the way there. Yeah. If you have something that's, you know, your, you know, um, a dietary issue, Maybe that's where you want to get an expert to say, this is, you know, what you can and can't eat. And this is how we're going to get you to your goal weight or, you know, change what's happening with your blood. But that's not, you know, coaches always try to be the all, you know, the everything to all their athletes. And I have always tried to farm some of that stuff out because I think that there are people out there as much as I know, or, you know, there's always people that just know those little niches of things that were like, well, I didn't even think of that. Right. Like that's something that's, you know, um, that's not always our expertise, I guess, but I think it's important having a nutritionist just to kind of bounce things off of and, and know um, really what you should be doing. Yeah. You know, and, and then also digging into nutrition during the race, you know, and I think lessons learned from the season, what went well, what didn't go so well. Sometimes that comes down to actually nutrition on, you know, in the event itself, right? which is still definitely nutritionist, you know, working with them. Um, but, you know, talking about how to incorporate these changes into training so that you're training the gut, you're getting more in the habit of eating more often for whatever reason or however amounts you decide you need to take in with your nutritionist and coach, but kind of working that into the, into the season program as well. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that um, a lot of instances, and at least my experience, we have a lot of athletes that undereat sometimes that yeah. don't realize you know, what a big effort actually takes in terms of carbohydrates and calories and hydration and sodium and all those different things. Um, in the off season, you know, if you're training inside, it's hard to get that heat element and say, you know, I want to train at 80 degrees and 80% humidity, but at least with your, you know, the amount of time you might be on the trainer or doing like a bike run, bike run brick, like something you're putting some volume into, that's a good time to test out those new products and see if they actually work with your stomach, your digestive system. You know, do you have to go to the bathroom right after? I mean, is it, is it something that, okay, I'm doing an Ironman. It's going to take me 10 to 12 hours. Is this something that's, that's sustainable, right? Do I like the taste of this? Like all of it. Right. Um, you know, and of course, you know, we, we both know this, but once you get outside in the heat and that, that gel doesn't taste so good after six hours, right? Like you, you loved it at hour four, but hour six, you're starting to get cranky and it's yeah. not, you know, so those, those are the kind of things you got to test out though, constantly. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think this kind of relates, you know, I mentioned season review, you know, you have this transition phase, you have this downtime, but it can be a good time to reflect. Um, talk to us about reflecting on the past season. How, how might you go about that with your athletes? Um, lessons learned, what went well, what went wrong? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a strong uh, advocate of my athletes writing a race report after the race, right? Okay. I, I tell them, let's look at this, you know, positive or negative. It's something to look at. And as we get into the off season, you know, you were complaining that, man, I wasn't very good on the hills. You know, I need more work on that. Like, or, you know, I wasn't good in the wind. I wasn't good with, uh, you know, a big pushing a big gear for a long time. Like all these things, you know, as they're writing them down and keeping a journal after the race, these are all the things we can address in the winter time. And maybe pushing a big gear isn't even about a big gear. Maybe it's about getting in the weight room, and getting stronger, right? So there's these things that they all tie in, right? Yeah. So just knowing, um, you know, how you race, because that's really what we care about. I mean, obviously the day-to-day -day training is fun and the journey is always the bigger piece of this. But on race day, when you want to perform that one or two or three days a year, which is, you know, always hard to taper for that one event, as we know, um, but those, those, that big pressure that you have in that big moment, if something is not going correct, like let's correct it, let's fix it. Let's, let's make that big gear issue, not an issue anymore next year. Let's make you stronger. Let's do more big gear work in the winter. Let's, you know, hit the weight room. Yeah. Um, no, it's it, important. It's a little bit of a slap in the face sometimes, which is a rude awakening, but you'd be like, you know, four months later, be like, Hey, let's reread that race report. And remember, it's hard to do. remember that feeling, remember that will, that want, that desire to change, whatever it is. Yes. Well, this is our moment now. And I know it's not your most favorite thing to do, but this is what you wrote. This is what we agreed upon. Now let's implement it. You know, and, and I love it. I'm having this uh, with one of my athletes right now. Oh. So they were, they were hell bent on, you know, changing nutrition in the off season. And What's I've been asking for a food log. What's that? I'll give you this. <laughs> go ahead and so i've been asking for a food log and i'm not getting it and i'm like okay so this is this is going to be a challenge right so, right well i uh, you know yeah. i would uh in, in training peaks there's the annual training plan and there's one column that's just notes just open text and every when something eventful happened like they did a test they got injured um whatever it might be some notes i'd put in there that we could then sit down and we had one page that we could review which were the highlights and the lowlights of the season and and let's reminisce and let's let's see what went well let's try and duplicate that okay these things didn't go as planned we can improve here but that mm -hmm. one sheet really kind of guided my 
postseason um, review with the athlete. And then we could dig into the race reports and logs, et cetera, from there. Um, that was kind of one trip, one tip that I did, you know, with my athletes. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so how about planning for next year, setting, setting goals? It's a good time to set goals, you know? And I think, I think once the season's over and it's still fresh in your mind, like I don't, I don't like to see athletes take a week or a month and say, okay, now let's start planning. Let's, let's, let's do all it's fresh in your mind. That motivation is still there to improve what you need to improve. I think that's a big part of this. Um, like you said, like all those things you said, and you know, you want to improve on, let's improve on it. Let's take that step. Right. And I think, um, you know, writing it down, obviously is the most important, um, part of this. There was a study done. You probably know, this it was a study done at Harvard in the early eighties and they had a group of students and they asked them if they were going to write their goals down and they said, no. And that was like 10% of the class. And then 30% of the class said they thought about writing goals down, but they didn't actually do it, but they did think about their goals. And then the third group wrote the goals down and they fast forward to 10 years. And the second group was making like 30% more money than the first group. But the group that actually wrote it down was making 50% more in income than the second group. So writing your goals down is so important to your success. Um, and we just, you know, um, I used to have that, that, uh, God, it was a Velo News Diary every year, right? And I used to write my goals in every week, right? I'm going to swim 10,000 yards. I'm going to bike 200 miles. I'm going to run 30 miles. That thing was fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. I've got tons of those things in my closet filled out. You know? Yeah. So, you know, like sitting down and writing the goals is like mm -hmm. really getting real with yourself. That's yeah. even another level of getting real with yourself when you have to share it to your coach. And, right. And that That's feedback right. come back from the coach. The re, you know, how realistic is this? Is this, you know, all those kind of back and forth negotiations, if you will. Um, yeah. Good yeah. yeah. There's something called um, the accountability mirror. And what you do is you put your goals on a sticker and you, you know, even yeah. it's for the week, right? I'm, you know, Dirk's right. going to go out and ride 300 miles this week. You stick it on your mirror and, and on Sunday night, you look at it and you say, man, did I hit that goal? That's a hard one, right? Yeah. That's at the essence of coaching, you know, yeah. accountability. You know, right. I'm accountable to my to my program, to my goal, to my coach, um, and ticking those off each week. And you don't have to, you know, it's not about doing it perfectly every time. I think the consistency, obviously, and that might be a goal. You know, is just to create more consistency in a be more consistent. Program. Yes, right, hundred yes. percent. Yeah. Um, what about testing? You know, any going into the lab or or field testing. What times of year do you incorporate that? And is it it's good great, to do it yeah. right at the very beginning after a transition where you are baseline? I actually love that. I'm like, oh, I have nothing to lose here. I can be as- You, you have nothing to lose. And I, you know, uh, for years I would, I mean, this is kind of, you know, sick and twisted, but every New Year's day I would get up and do like a 30 minute TT on the trainer and oh. say, okay, there's my number. Wow. And there's where I am. And maybe my Watts are, 210 right now, right. but where are they going to be in four weeks? Right. And where are yeah. they going to be in eight weeks, 12 weeks? Um, that's kind of fun. And like you said, it's kind of a, you're playing with house money. Like it doesn't matter. It could be, you know, really low and then you've got time to build it up. Yeah. Um, but if you surprise yourself, then that's, that's even, that's motivating too. I know. So it's really, you don't lose either way. It is exactly. It's motivating because it doesn't really matter. And it's, it's like the baseline that you're like hoping to beat, you know, and it becomes mm -hmm. easier and easier easier to beat, uh, I guess, harder and harder, the farther you get away from the goal. But, um, you know, and maybe lastly, like, do you have athletes that you actually have to convince 
to take this time off. Like they are so hell bent at getting that workout done, et cetera. Yeah. Like, hey, this is your time. Yeah. So here's here's my feeling on that whole thing. So I I think that, you know, as an elite athlete, you're going to, sorry about that. You're going to take off, you know, three or four weeks and you're back into it. Cause you know, you're, it's, you're, you're, you got big goals. It's Kona, you're professional, whatever it is. I mean, maybe three to four weeks and you're kind of back into it with my, you know, elite age groupers. They definitely do not love taking time off. So there always has to be some other kind of carrot out there. And it may be the weight training, like just get in the gym three days a week and pedal as easy as you want a couple times a week and run a little bit and maybe get in the pool and splash around. And that's, that's great. And they do that for a month and they get your heart rate, keep the heart rates down. I think that's a great way to help them recover, refresh, and then reframe the next year. Right. But I think that there's some level and if, I don't know if it's Zwift or it's, you know, trainer workouts or whatever, but there's some level of entertainment Mm. that it seems like athletes need at this point. Right. Mm. And, I don't have a lot of athletes that have 15 to 20 hours a week to train. I've got a couple that have 15 hours a week to train, but most of them are in that eight to 10, okay. maybe 12 range. And they don't want to pedal in zone two for two hours, even though I beg yeah. them to do it. They're like, Can you just <laughs> give me some kind of workout with some intervals in it. Right. And maybe it's a high zone two. Maybe we touch zone three. I don't really love a lot of zone three for short course racing. I think it's gotta be harder. It's gotta be easy. Um, but there's gotta be some level of entertainment and even doing, going to the pool and doing a set of, you know, 20 fifties on X and say, let's, what pace did you hold for those 20? And that's literally, you know, whatever that is, 14 minutes of hard swimming for the week. Um, and maybe you do that once a week just to kind of keep them engaged and have them do something that it's almost entertaining, right? Like, it's almost like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing and I'm going to stay engaged and I'm going to do all the easy workouts he's asking me to do. Right. But they want that one thing sometimes that they could just wrap their head around. Are they improving? Can they see it? Even though you and I both know, like, we don't need to measure anything in the off season. like just go have fun. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people just need that engagement piece to say, OK, I'm, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm going to go ride Central Park and I'm going to ride my loop as hard as I want. And I'm going to try to bust 20 minutes this time or whatever it is. Right. So yeah. there's some of that. Um, you know, high achievers are hard to hold back. I think that's the big thing. Sometimes they just, they want to go, go, go. And yeah. it's hard to convince them otherwise. I think that's a, yeah. it's a hard thing. Well, I think one of the purposes of an off season or a transition is it fitness is not linear and it just does not continually improve. And there, you know, there's the strong argument to be made to, to kind of bring it down a notch to get systems healed, um, to get, to allow you to become, become stronger. And I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I totally so, agree. With like I, I do feel a lot of athletes stagnate, um, mm-hmm. because it is so consistent, like consistency. Yes. You need to get the time in consistency of getting the workouts in, but if there's so much intensity involved every single week, that the stagnation happens, the plateau happens, there's no real ebb and flow of the training to allow this breakthrough. Um, or allow them right. to do, you know, a big peak week and then, uh, you know, a, a taper and a super compensation, you know? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, you're just saying something I was going to, uh, would you repeat what you just said? I had something on the, on the know, top of my tongue. that was It like, isn't linear, you know, you don't, you don't just build. Yeah, like yeah. This. Right. And, I, and, you know, if you look at like the physiology of, you know, speed work and intervals and all that stuff, you probably peak probably at the max at 12 weeks. So it's like a six to 12 week block. And aerobic I always tell my athletes, longer anaerobic is shorter. 
Right. So like if you if you peak in those 12 weeks, like after that race, we're not doing intervals for a couple of weeks. Like we're just going to go ride, go run and ride easy and just chill out and let our bodies recover from that. And then we can start the next block of, you know, intervals. But for people to do, and I see this all the time, do 20 weeks of intervals and then wonder why they get hurt. It's mind boggling, <laughs> right? It's like yeah. your body can't handle that stress week after week after week. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. Yeah, it the, needs a break. Yeah. Just changing break. The, the stressors to, to the system it, you know, allows it to grow in different dimensions in different ways. And it's always, the, you need some consistency to, to, to get, you know, raise the levels, but only to a certain point, then you've just stagnated. So mixing it up downtime in the end is going to make you faster, you know, maybe six right. months from now. Right. That's but like you said, you change the stressor and like you say, okay, you're a short course guy. Uh, maybe you only ride two hours for a long ride. Let's go do three or four days of two hours of riding. And let's see what that does. Cause I, you know, I've done stuff like that. And then you get that big aerobic boost at the end. And they're like, well, how did I get faster? I haven't been doing intervals. And I'm like, man, you don't understand this. Yeah. Like, it's just changing the variable. Like you're talking about And That's, um, that's pretty easy to do. Thinking about changing the variable. What about like just do, going from triathlon to like, we're going to do this marathon, like focus on this marathon. You probably had experience yeah. with that too, right? This is the time of year that I have athletes actually transitioning. You know, they just finished 70.3, okay. five hour fitness. They're going to go into a race that's going to take them three, three and a half hours. They're like, oh, I only have like six weeks. I'm like, you've been running 15 miles, you know, getting ready for this half. You're you're right there. You need a couple of weeks and that's it. Right. So uh, that's that's always an easy transition. And that's, you know, that's what some triathletes consider their off season, right? Like I'm yeah. going to train for marathon, right. which is right. comical to me because they still right. need to like just relax, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that transition of different sports is great. Um, I love to see triathletes get out on the trails, whether it's gravel or mountain bike and just not to get hurt, but just to do something different little hand-eye coordination. I mean, you, you know, you, you go on a trail and all of a sudden you got a 16% grade for a quarter mile and you, you're in the lowest gear in your mountain bike and you're trying to get up this thing and you're breathing through the roof and you just hit VO2. Yeah. And then you got some downhill, you got to pay attention. You can't just like, you know, take the time off. It's not like road, road cycling, right? Yeah. Like road cycling, you can go hard, just kind of hang in there, look around a little bit, but not, not mountain yeah. biking. You got Same with the trail running, running, you know, you hit some of these trails and your hands are on your knees and you're just hiking up uphill with, you yeah. know, so that, that's a good workout without going all out. Um, exactly. How about to wrap up? What's your top two kind of bullet points for folks to take away from this conversation? Yeah. So, you know, off season, I think has, has to be a time that you can kind of relax and keep a low heart rate for a few weeks and maybe get off of the swim bike run. Um, and I'm, I might say three things, but I think that blood work is huge. And I, and I think mobility and movement are both huge. I mean, those three things low heart rate, mobility and movement, and a blood analysis. You do those three things, you know, three or four weeks, you are set to have a great season the next year, you know, writing your goals down, like you had said. So yeah. the list goes on and on, but yeah. get that dental surgery uh, schedule. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah for the too, right? season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those elective surgeries. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, uh, Mike. This is great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Dirk. Yeah. Great. I look forward to seeing you in the gym. All right. For sure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources.